Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host here every week, Chris Flamey. And today I have the distinct honor of welcoming Jeffrey Skadoff on the podcast. He's a practicing Florida attorney and founder of Probate Stars, a professional estate attorney locator service to the public. Jeffrey, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, let's have a good time. So I want to jump in. You have a very interesting history. Take me through that briefly on what led you to where you are today. Sure. I started my uh, career, goodness, 30 years ago as an attorney at the uh, Department of Justice Tax Division, where I litigated mostly estate and gift tax cases on behalf of the federal government. Okay, wow. I, I did that for four years, and that's where I initially got my first exposure to the world of uh, estate planning and estate tax and gift tax. Uh, after that, I was in private practice at a few large law firms in Washington, D.C., where I focused on estate planning and taxation and probate, and eventually realized that if one wants to be a probate and estate planning attorney, there's no place better than Florida to do that. So I packed up and moved to Florida and started practicing law here about 20 years ago. Okay. Why do you say Florida is the place to do it? I mean, I, I can kind of, you know, have a concept of what you might say, but, you know, what is the reason that you thought that was the best place? Well, it's a retirement mecca. And many of the people who move down here are fairly wealthy. So it's a great place uh, to be an advisor, whether it's in financial planning or estate planning. It's just a great market to do that. The whole state is great for that. Uh, plus, I was always interested in trying to see if I could start up a probate litigation practice, which I actually did. And Florida is a great state for that because Florida is different than a lot of places in the sense that I'm originally from St. Louis. And most people stay there their whole lives. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows the lawyers. And you realize that if you engage in some sort of bad activity, it's going to get out in the community and hurt you in all sorts of ways. So people in this, in the estate area tend to behave better. In Florida, we're so often dealing with parts of families, maybe mom and one child, and everybody else is somewhere else in the Northeast or California. And so opportunities for uh, nefarious behavior arise on a regular basis. And so we have an estate litigation bar that's the biggest in the country by far. Yeah, for that reason. Okay. Sure. So if we could go, if we could go back in time and talk to the younger Jeffrey, what do you think is some advice that you would give him when he was starting out? Well, I worked for people probably longer than I should have as an employee. Mm -hmm. And my advice to younger me was, have the confidence and go off and do it yourself from scratch earlier rather than later, because you actually have what it takes to do this. Yeah. So that would I, be my advice. Right. I would tell myself that too, uh, in the, in along the same vein. 
Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk on a high level just about some estate planning things that you and I have <clears throat> discussed in the past. So, you know, you see all these billboards driving around and all these people doing shows on the radio and on TV on Sunday mornings and advertisements. And they uh, basically are promoting that a revocable trust or something like that can solve all of their problems. Is that something you find actually be true? It can be true. So just so everybody knows what we're talking about. Yes. Normally, the basic estate planning document is a will. You die. Anything that's in your name gets disposed of pursuant to the instructions in the will. A revocable trust can work just like that. There will be instructions for what happens to your assets, the assets that are owned by the trust, what happens to those assets upon your death in terms of who receives them. But a revocable trust also has uh, two other purposes. Number one, the assets in the trust do not go through state court probate. It's handled sort of privately, if you will. And uh, the other advantage is it deals with disability planning. So if somebody becomes incapacitated at some point in their life, which is a pretty common thing, they might need someone else to take care of their assets and pay their bills, for example. And so a revocable trust has the feature of having a backup trustee. So when you can't handle the trust anymore, the backup comes in, takes over, and then pays your bills and takes care of you. So it's got disability planning all rolled into one. So they're great tools for some people. However, they can be either overkill or unnecessary or cause harm in other situations. So I'll give you an example. In my practice, I've always been a big believer in estate planning. So if you run over somebody with your car and get sued and the damages are greater than your insurance and you've got assets, those assets can potentially be at risk. If you're married, let's say, and own your assets with your wife in a form of ownership called tenancy by the entireties, and that means that the husband and the wife both own the assets together. Under Florida law, those assets are immune to a creditor of just one person. And so I've seen a great number of estate plans where the clients come to me, they've got the revocable trust, they're very proud of it that they've done sort of some fairly sophisticated estate planning. They have half the assets in the husband's revocable trust and half the assets in the wife's revocable trust. And I'll ask, well, this is great, but where do the assets come from to fund these trusts? Oh, it's from our brokerage account. The brokerage account that both of you owned as husband and wife? Yeah. Well, what they've done is they've taken their brokerage account that was protected from the creditors of either person. And by splitting the assets and putting half in one trust and half in the other, now those assets are subject to creditor claims of either spouse. So they've eliminated their asset protection, if you will. And sure, uh, they might not go through probate. And sure, there's some disability planning there. But you know, the reality is that in many cases, a revocable trust, which again, has the instructions like a will for what happens when you die, that's only as good as to the extent to which the revocable trust has been funded. And most people simply do not fully fund their revocable trusts. So what you end up with is a trust administration and a probate administration. So you've in, in fact doubled the amount of work that has to be done. You've doubled the cost rather than solve any problems. So um, I was never the biggest fan of revocable trust that ever was. I think that they're great tools for an older individual who's probably not married or whose spouse is already incapacitated, where you know you're going to be needing help in the near future and the incapacity planning aspects of the revocable trust can actually be very helpful in managing that. So in my mind, they're for older people, probably not married, concerned about a future disability. They're great tools in that situation. They're just not, in my opinion, tools that are generally applicable to everyone.
Yeah. And it could be married with some of that other stuff that you're talking about. You, you mentioned there's some uh, before in conversations we've had, there's some alternatives from a beneficiary standpoint and that type of thing. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Sure. In many estate plans that I see, for example, when the person's died and it's time to do the probate, turns out probate's not necessary because the person who has died planned their affairs such that the assets transfer automatically at death. And this would be like a beneficiary designation on a life insurance policy or an annuity or a pay on death designation for a bank account or a brokerage account. These tools avoid probate. You don't necessarily have to change the titling so you can keep your asset protection and it happens without any cost to anyone. There's no court, there's no lawyers, there's no administration. All you need is a uh, death certificate to show that the person has passed away and then the assets are yours. And so that to me is a superior way of doing estate planning if it's possible. It's not always possible, however, in every situation, nor is it a good idea in every situation. Is an example of that a paid on death or a transfer on death type of an arrangement, Jeff? Yes, it's it's the same concept, but it has different names, pay on death, transfer on death. It's really the same thing as a beneficiary. They're just used in different contexts. You see the beneficiary designation used more with a life insurance product and you'll see pay on death or transfer on death more with a bank account or non-retirement brokerage account. Investment. Okay. So is there something in particular that you like best about your business right now? Uh, Sure. So from an estate planning perspective with the, uh, you know, law in flux, at the end of last year, there were various uh, proposals being floated to reduce the lifetime exemption amounts or to cause people to have to pay tax on their unrealized capital gain. So you'd pay a tax on the gain, even though you haven't sold it. So those proposals generated a frenzy of questions from clients about, do they need to change their estate plan? Should they do it by the end of the year? And so that was interesting because these are the people who would be calling me on a regular basis tended to be the most sophisticated people who were up to speed. They might have also had their accountant working with them. Sometimes the accountant gets on the phone with me to figure out what to do. So I enjoyed having lots of high level discussions about politically what's likely to happen and how do we react now in terms of what to do. Yeah. Now, right. a little underwhelming. My advice was, I don't think you should do much because I don't think these proposals are actually going to be implemented right. because even though there are threats to reduce the lifetime exemption amount, which right now stands at a little over $12 million a person to move that down to, I've seen proposals as low as $3 million a person. So $6 million for a married couple, which sounds like a lot of money to most people, but it's not that much money, especially considered how appreciated real estate's become, you know, especially in California and the coast. So there's a lot of people with estates that are that size. And the number of people that would have been brought back into the estate tax system was so large. I always felt politically, it's probably not a good idea to start taxing people who haven't been taxed with this particular tax in decades. And so none of those proposals went through. Yeah, it's always interesting in dealing with clients on what they think may cause a ruckus or throw a wrench into their particular plans. The one I think about is uh, there was quite a few people I had conversations with that thought the outcome of the last political election was um, somehow gonna tank the stock market. And historically, there's no evidence for that, you know, and so it was unlikely. But um, yeah, it's interesting what people can, what start to believe, especially if it's, they think it's different this time, right? When you and I know a lot, being in the professional services, most of the time things aren't going to be different. Maybe the circumstances are different, but it's not really different. Right, right. So on the flip side of that, what areas do you find the most challenging in your business? Well, from 
from a perspective of being a lawyer and doing, yeah. say, a probate litigation, what I always found the most challenging was explaining to a client, for example, that they don't have a viable case. So, yeah, yeah. you know, back a lot up, of my back up real quick first. Yeah. So, first define what probate litigation is, and and then continue. Sorry to interrupt. Thank you. So, your your classic uh, probate litigation case is a will contest where somebody, you know, typically very late in life with a number of medical issues, you know, changes a will under nefarious circumstances, typically involving, say, the undue influence of a nefarious actor, be it one of many siblings, children, or a neighbor. New spouse. Uh, new spouse, yeah. sure. Right. And those are hard cases to prove and win. Courts are reluctant to strike down what somebody has written on a piece of paper and signed with witnesses, especially if it's done by a lawyer, judges are reluctant to strike those down for good reason. And so I would always see cases where we have one child who was able to get mom or dad to redo the will, to leave everything to that child, to the exclusion of say two siblings. And the rationale was always, well, I moved down to Florida. I took care of mom or mom and dad. So mom was just in a sense, rewarding me for being a good son. But you know, the reality in many of those cases is that that particular son had nothing else to do. The other two children are successful professionals up in New York who are doing exactly what their parents wanted them to do, which is be productive professional members of society, raise their own families. And for those people to find out that their sort of less uh, ambitious uh, brother or sister was able to convince mom and dad to uh, redo the will to write them out is very hard to swallow. And if we don't have the facts that can really prove the undue influence and the diminished mental capacity, then those cases really can't be won. And so you're up against sort of the law doesn't really allow you to challenge this, but on an ethical and moral basis and sort of what's right, it's clearly wrong what's taking place. And so just explaining that to a, a prospective will contest client is always challenging because people are very upset when they hear that they don't have a case. Yeah, no, that would be difficult. And if we could, I want to shift gears just a little bit. So you created this thing called Probate Stars. And That's right. I'm curious what the genesis was for that, of creating that um, and, and what it is. Sure. So Probate Stars is a platform to connect estate planning and probate lawyers with potential clients. Okay. So lawyers sign up and it's by state and then by city or geographic region in that state. And then they're featured. So when somebody sees some content on a particular state, say they go to Florida, they'll see on the website, all the lawyers who have signed up, who do this area in Florida and what city that they're in. And I think we're up to about 50 or 60 lawyers at this point, sort of adding them on a weekly basis. Okay. And um, you know, it, it seems to be working for most of the people who sign up. Yep. And I can tell you how this started. The idea was that about... 18 years ago, 19 years ago, when I decided to start my law practice by myself, I decided to do internet marketing because I moved to Florida, you know, not that late in life, but sort of late enough that I didn't really know a lot of people, you know, didn't go to law school here, didn't know a lot of lawyers. So I thought I better do something different. And my theory was that, as I sort of alluded to earlier, for probate litigation, most of the people involved in those disputes don't live in Florida. So because Florida tends to have pieces of families, not the whole family, uh, you might have just mom or dad who moved down here and everybody else is elsewhere. So when there's a fight, the clients are all over the country and in fact, all over the world. And so they go straight to the internet 
So I was sort of not a first mover, but an earliest, an earlier enough mover so that I was able to uh, build up a very good law firm website and get tons of business that way. And a professional friend of mine by the name of Adrian Thomas, he started doing this at the same time as me. I am in Palm Beach Gardens. He was in Fort Lauderdale. And basically for every Florida search term that one could imagine researching about sort of a Florida probate matter or a Florida will contest or estate planning, he and I would be one or two in the Google search results. And that went on for years and years and years. And so I was able to basically build up a law practice solely by getting clients from the internet, which at the time sounded kind of hard to believe. But of course, now that seems like, well, of course, that's what everybody does. Yeah, right. But that wasn't really the case then. Yeah. And Adrian and I moved into this sort of idea early enough independently, but we sort of both saw what each other was doing and reached out and, that, and then we became professional friends. So you know, it worked really, really well. And so I tried to apply that concept to my new website, Probate Stars, sort of, sort of the same thing, uh, but for you know as many probate lawyers as want to sign up that I think the platform can handle. And the real engine that drives it is the website has over a thousand articles about probate and estate planning topics spread out over all fifty states. And so what happens is that people type in a search term like how long do I have to challenge a will in Ohio, for example? And my articles tend to show up really, really well in those sort of longish search terms because I have articles, I have a thousand of them uh, that cover so many topics. So the lawyers who've signed up then get uh, visibility and exposure when one of those articles shows up in a state where they have signed up to be. Um, And so I I even had one lawyer uh, in a certain state to say to me, I'll take every territory that you'll let me have because his results were so good. And I said, well, I think, I think we have enough. So who does the company serve primarily? I mean, I know it serves attorneys for introductions, but what the, the person out there, who does that term, is that directed towards? Great, great question. So there's sort of two kinds of people who want to hire a lawyer. Somebody has a legal problem and they say, let me go find a lawyer to handle it. Then other people will say, I want to do some research on this. I want to see what I can learn before I start calling up lawyers, because I want to be able to understand my situation a little bit better before I talk to a lawyer. And I want to be able to ask good questions. And I want to show the lawyer that I'm serious and I've educated myself so that I'll get better attention from the lawyer that I'm a serious person. So the website was designed for the latter group, people who want to research uh, an issue first before hiring a lawyer. And that's the concept of all these different articles that deal with all these sort of niche, smallish topics. I've got an article for just about every such topic. So people who research will see the article, feel a little bit more educated, and then you know, call up a lawyer on the site or somebody else. But at least they'll be starting the process and talking to lawyers from a position of knowledge as opposed yeah. to ignorance. Okay. So that then that kind of segues into what, what do you think is the main benefit then of finding a professional through the site? You know, because I'm sure there's some kind of a vetting process or something that you apply before the person is on there. So what's the benefit of that? Well, these are lawyers who spend over half of the practice in the estate planning and probate field. They've got to be at least half their practice. And we will, you know, look for cases that they've done. We'll look for professional discipline to see if they've been suspended or disbarred. We don't want somebody like that on the site. Um, we'll make sure that the person is likely to be able to do what they say they can do. We're way past the age of what I'll say generalists being able to do much. I mean, even a fairly simple estate plan, 
shouldn't really be done by a generalist anymore because the, the complexity isn't in the will itself. It's why are you doing this in the first place? Are there better ideas that are that are being used? Even if a generalist could, you know, pull off a good will form from the internet and do a fine job, that might not, not actually be what's called for in the circumstance. So well, we want people that are that are yeah. more expert in the area. You make a really good point there, which I often think about where the difference between knowledge and wisdom. So the person might know how to do the will, but the wisdom is as well, like you said, am I asking the right questions as a professional? And are there alternative things that we should be considering based on what they want to try to do? Right. Because I think getting conversations like that where you can find out anything you want about finances on the Internet, the info. But does the Internet have the wisdom then give you the advice on whether that makes sense for you or not? That's a completely different story. Right. Sure. And, you know, since I'm not trying to sell my services on the website, I'm trying to give readers the best information available. I will often talk about the pros and cons of different things and perhaps discourage people not to do things uh, like use a revocable trust when it's not required. And I'll put that on the internet where a lot of estate planning lawyers on their personal websites would sort of just talk up generally all the different tools so that clients feel like they can, if they want a revocable trust, they see this guy does them. So they'll go to that person as opposed to reading an article that says you shouldn't really use one in your situation. Yeah, Not everybody wants to see that. So I'm trying to give people the most accurate, insightful information that they can think about. Right. Yeah. Make an informed decision. Yes. All right, Jeff, let's switch gears. I'm curious, what would you say is your biggest life accomplishment so far? <laughs> <laughs> this could be personally or professionally or both. I don't know. I guess getting my wife to agree to marry me, most of my <laughs> friends would consider to be a huge accomplishment. Sort of how did you work that? Because she's, uh, let's just say, uh, doesn't look like me. You married, uh, you married above your pay grade? I think I did. Uh, well, most people think so. I think um, I did too. <laughs> that's the way to be. Yeah. Um, so that would be number one. The second one would be uh, building uh, two businesses from scratch mm-hmm. that, you know, the law firm was very successful and the, the website is it's on its way to be doing that. You know, there's to me with an entrepreneurial mindset, there's nothing more rewarding than, you know, having an idea. I bet I can get clients from the internet with a good website. And then building it out, and then it works. So the whole thing from start to finish sort of works. That to me is very rewarding professionally. Yeah, a lot of satisfaction in that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and outside of your practice, outside of your businesses, is there something that you're really passionate about personally? Yes. Raising my children, I've got four children, and three of them are musicians. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And so we're a big music family. We've got a flute, a bassoon, and a French horn. And so much of my time is spent going to music teachers, going to performances, traveling for music competitions or, um, or conferences. And that's been very rewarding. Uh, I was not a musician as a child. So this is a whole new world that's been open to me and I've really been into it. And uh, my fourth child, the oldest, who's not a musician, he is all soccer all the time. And so we go to soccer games. I watch him play soccer. I coach soccer. So it's all soccer, all music. And that's great for me. I don't you play an instrument? I used to play the piano, but I, okay. I don't anymore. You're out of practice. Um, yeah. So. Okay. So let's switch back gears a little bit to the business side of things. What do you consider to be your biggest opportunity you see in the future for your, your business or your practice? The biggest opportunity is I've got about 60 lawyers signed up on the site, and there's about a million lawyers in the country, give or take. Mm-hmm. So that's the opportunity. 
is to try to get the website in front of more lawyers and, and show and demonstrate that for what is really not a lot of money can really deliver lots of clients on a on a monthly basis. Yeah, that's, so a, that's a big pipeline. A huge opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> All right, and on the flip side of that, what do you consider to be your biggest challenge facing you know the business heading into the new year? What's the thing you have to overcome, or the thing you see as the tough thing? It was interesting because you know running a website one focuses on traffic. And so if you own a website, you have various tools to measure uh, your traffic and how well you do for different search terms. And what I found is that I was getting all-time traffic peaks sort of in the middle of 2020 when I guess everyone was at home on the internet. And I thought that that was just the website getting better and better. And then I noticed that sort of as things opened back up, the traffic fell off a little bit. And so there was really no way else to explain why did I have an all-time traffic peak when everybody was at home doing nothing and why did that trail off a bit? Now, I think it's kind of obvious that people are not just staring at their computers all day at home hiding. So the challenge for me is how to get my traffic back up. And the way that I'm doing that is uh, putting out three to five new articles every week, an estate planning idea or a new case that comes out on on an issue of estate planning or probate or taxation. So there's always lots of content to write. So the challenge is just keeping up with the recent developments and getting those out sort of sooner than ever, than anyone else. And so people come to the website because they know that if there's a case that just came out, they'll get an analysis and a copy of the case, which can sometimes be hard to find, but we spend the time to sort of find the cases. So they're on the website so people can download them, which is a challenge for people, especially lay people who don't have access to sort of legal research sites. They're expensive. Yeah. It's not like you can just go to the the law library. That's right. So- so just staying current is a constant challenge so that it stays relevant in the, in the minds of people who come to the site. Yeah. What do you think happened to all those books, all those law books with all those cases in them? Are they still at those places or what happened to all those? Now, um, decorations for offices. You can typically buy those for about a dollar a book if you want to decorate a, a bookcase with them. Everything's online now. Yeah. And it's interesting because you know I sort of bridged with my age, yeah. the offline world with the online world. And, you know, so when I was in school and early in my career, everything was by with, with books and now it's all electronic. So I was trying a case once in a courthouse in Palm Beach County and the law library for that courthouse was actually down the hall from the courtroom. So a case came up uh, during oral argument and we didn't have it with us. And I decided I better see what this case is talking about because the other side's arguing it and I, are they misquoting it probably, but I need to see it with my own eyes and I don't have it. An opposing counsel didn't bring an extra copy of it, which they're supposed to do. So I sent my associate to the law library down the hallway who was with me. I said, go find this case. She went down there and I'm waiting and waiting. And she comes back like 10 minutes later. And she said, I, I don't know how to do that. So she did not know how to find a case in a, in a book that has all the cases in it. So I had to get up and go down and find it and show her how to do it and then make a copy and bring it back. So, I mean, at first you're like, wow. Yeah, but on the other right. hand, you know, the next generation is full digital. They don't yeah. need books. They don't want them. They don't have them. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know what the Dewey Decimal System is. They don't know anything. Or, about or if, you show them a, if you show them a watch with an analog on it, <laughs> right? Where they're like, what is that? that is, That's I right. Can't, I can't flip through it. So they have no clue. Exactly. All right. Cool. So if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way is to go to the website, probatestars.com, okay. and it's got email and uh, phone number, contact information uh, for me. 
I'm usually the person who answers the phone if somebody calls. Okay. So if anybody has any questions or issues, love to love to chat. Okay, great. Jeffrey, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a been a real pleasure, very informative. And I want to thank everybody for listening, tuning in, and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we raise the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Take care and be well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.